Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Simon. Uh, and today I was supposed to have uh, Stella Levi uh, talk about her story and Sammy Modiano's story, uh, both Holocaust survivors, people I, I met on the Isle of Rhodes <coughs> some weeks ago during uh, my vacation uh, there. Uh, and uh, she's been taken ill, and I'm not sure how much she's ill and just how much she really didn't want to do the show. Um, I guess I was a little insistent, but maybe she'll be on another time, or maybe uh, somebody who hears this wants to contact me and tell me their story uh, of uh, being, you know, of the Holocaust, um, because I think it's a critically important story to tell and a story to try and understand how. It happened that 6 million Jews, and I must remind my guests, 7 million non-Jews were put to death by the, as a part of the official policy of a uh, great country. I mean, Germany was a great country, is a great country. Um, the roots of so much of the roots of Western civilization are to be found in, in Germany. Uh, the music, the poetry, the art... Um, it's, it, it was hard for many people to imagine that a country uh, that produced uh, Beethoven and Be produced um, uh, people that produced uh, Goethe uh, could have also produced Hitler. And I don't. And, and it, something that's always been said since I'm youngster is that you can't imagine, you can't hold on to, you can't understand at all the Holocaust. And so the story is submerged. Uh, in, in this kind of a, a myth, and I think it is a myth, that somehow it's the German people who uh, produced it. It could have only been produced by the German people. And therefore, it's unique uh, and un unimaginable and unfathomable because, because of, of its uniqueness. And I disagree with that. I think it's not hard to understand what happened in Germany at all. And I'm going to apply my own sense of psychology and sociology to this, um, because I don't think it's really that difficult to understand, because while the magnitude of the murder, the magnitude of what we label as evil uh, was so great, um, it's, it's happened since, it's happened before, where whole groups of people have been uh, the target of annihilation. Uh, the, the recently in Rwanda, in Africa, the tribal war between the Hutus and the Tutsis uh, led to a wholesale slaughter of one tribe by the other, um, where people had been living together uh, in the same country, sharing the same country, uh, but somehow uh, it wasn't very difficult for, I think it was the... the uh, Tutsis, who were the, were the, you know what, I can't even remember for a second which were the aggressors and which were not. If somebody wants to email me, they can do that. I'll, I'll put it on, talk about it. But all of a sudden, the leader of one tribe got his followers to think about fear, uh, the kind of terrible fear that the other tribe meant to them, when in fact the other tribe meant no fear whatsoever. I, I discussed this a couple of weeks ago on the way in which scapegoating is used. Create a fear of the other, a fear. 
And once that fear is great enough um, and, and the leader tells you that these individuals are a threat to us, you see, they're different, they're a threat to our way of life, threat to our bodies, our minds, uh, suddenly it really isn't hard to see a hatred form and a dehumanization form of that individual's. Um, another uh, example in our lifetime, uh, well, for most of you, our lifetime, certainly mine, when Yugoslavia came apart and the country of Serbia decided to become greater Serbia and become a great power, uh, an, a, a, an empire, and the country uh, um, occupied uh, uh, by the Muslims, the Muslims who were different, it, it, uh, was slaughtered uh, in something that, if you remember, called ethnic cleansing. Savage, savage, and that's a label, but it's true, it's my label, savage rape and destruction of the women of the towns. And this, not long after the um, 1984 uh, Olympics, the, the Winter Olympics, which showed the same people who had intermarried, the, the uh, Serbs uh, and the Croatians, the Croats. No, it's not the Croats. You know, my mind isn't working at all today, but that's okay. Um, when these individuals were in the same family, families suddenly splitting apart, uh, while Milosevic, who was the head of the Serbs, said, these people are our enemies. They are out to hurt us. They are preventing us from our destiny. Uh, and the fear and the hatred that mounted so that the women were raped and children were slaughtered, uh, and there was an attempt to destroy an entire people. And, and so we could talk about this as something that has happened over and over in history. What makes the, the, the Holocaust itself so uh, different is that the degree to which uh, the entire mobilization of society was put behind, uh, put together to make this murder take place. Many historical uh, historians agree that had Hitler uh, not been so uh, uh, set on the destruction of the Jews and other untermenschen, that is, inferior people, he could have e much more easily won the war. His generals begged him, stop tying up the railroad for transport of Jews to the eastern countries uh, where most of the death camps were, uh, Poland, uh, Lithuania, Estonia, where all of these countries, uh, uh, where there had been a long history of, of anti-Semitism. Um, they begged him, don't tie up the railroad, but no. In, his view was that the Jews were a disease of the fatherland. Okay? And that's wonderful, turn people into a disease. Uh, you want to cause panic? Tell people a bird flu is coming. Tell them that uh, some kind of virus is coming and that the virus is going to uh, destroy them. And what you end up with is tremendous fear. How do I protect myself against this fear? And here you have a long history of uh, anti-Semitism in Europe where the Jews, interestingly enough, were not seen as what they are in America as a religion, but as a race. Uh, an inferior race that is a danger to the superior race. And I'm not going to go into the history, the thousand-year history of anti-Semitism. But uh, Hitler used them 
the Jew as the other and the enemy, uh, over and over suggesting that if the Jews could be eliminated, uh, Germany would be a powerful and wonderful country and be restored uh, from the disgrace and the shame and the economic problems that resulted from their loss of World War One, the Great War, and the uh, uh, not intelligent imposition of of the post-war or post-World War One um, uh, rules that they had to follow. Um, it, it, it was a destructive thing for the Allies to have done, uh, creating such misery in Germany that. Um, the idea of a scapegoat uh, uh, became so absolutely uh, powerful in the minds of so many German people. Now, I must tell you that uh, I have personal reasons for really wanting to understand this story, not just calling it evil and not just condemning it, which I do, but to understand it. Uh, and that is because as a Jew, um, I was born in the United States, um, uh, while I did experience some anti-Semitism, I consider it small anti-Semitism. Nobody tried to kill me, uh, but to keep me out of a country club or to keep me uh, out of uh, certain universities that I might have gone to uh, where there was uh, a racial policy, religious discrimination. But on the other hand, nothing uh, existed in my upbringing to stop me from getting a Ph.D., from publishing my books, from getting a good job in a university, uh, and, and to saying what I wanted to say and have an audience and have a way of uh, feeding my children and raising them without fear that um, there would be some systematic governmental-sponsored or group-sanctioned uh, slaughter uh, uh, of them. But... My parents both escaped from Russia uh, at different times, uh, at the time of the Russian Revolution, where there was a tremendous amount of very violent anti-Semitism, where on Easter and Christmas, uh, the, the uh, populace, the, the, more, the less educated populace, uh, those groups that uh, in the United States would be referred to as the real Americans, um, would get drunk and would go on what was called a pogrom, which was uh, to go out and find Jews and to slaughter them, to, to kill as many as that could be found. Although it was never done to systematically uh, destroy the gene pool or to systematically destroy people as, as a group. And so uh, I, I've often been aware that had my parents met, not in the United States, where I had the opportunities that I have had, but had stayed in Russia. Uh, that part of Russia, which in the morning could be Poland, in the afternoon Russia, and the next day could be back in Poland, that area, it's very likely when the Germans took over, I would have died at Baba Yar. I was born in 1940, and uh, um, most of the Jews in that area who had not escaped were slaughtered. And so it's important to me on a personal level to understand uh, this, uh, th these events and to understand how they could happen in so many different places historically. And I do believe it could happen here in the United States uh, if conditions were right. Now, it's obvious that conditions aren't right because the very fact that uh, Obama uh, was elected president, a man uh, who 
as a black man until very recently was seen as innately inferior uh, because of the color of his, of his skin, is that uh, this is a very different set of conditions. Although I'll mention, maybe not in this show, another one, that still with all of this tolerance that seems to be going on at the present time, the fact that gays are still being attacked and uh, government laws are being promulgated to discriminate against uh, gays um, and, and what their rights and needs are shows that um, there's still an underpinning and a looking for scapegoats, a looking for uh, the enemy uh, not being used systematically by the government, but it's there. Okay? Uh, they'll contaminate us. If they have children, they'll turn their children into gays. If they teach, they'll make our children in school gay. And, of course, all of this is crap and nonsense. Uh, there is very little reality to it. And yet, uh, when people want to use this, when religious groups want to use this, when political leaders want to use this, um, it doesn't seem to be too difficult to, to create this aura around the gay, uh, such as was around the Jew, the gypsy, homosexuals in Germany as well, the retarded, those who were deemed untermenschen. Now, let me, let me talk a little bit about this uh, idea of the inferior ones. The basis that uh, Hitler used for describing the inferior peoples was not necessarily just cultural. Um, it was genetic. The idea that people can be born inferior. And it, it, I'm going to recommend a book for those of you who like to read. It's very easy to read. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. It's called Mad in America, M-A-D in America. And it's a history of psychiatry by a fellow named Robert Whitaker. Now, Whitaker is a reporter who lives in Boston. I believe he has been nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. I don't think he's won one. Um, but he started out to do an article on uh, psychiatry and the increased use of psychiatric drugs some years ago. And he, he started out his research uh, with a very positive view of psychiatry, had nothing negative to say about it, until he began to look more closely, and he did some history. And the history of psychiatry, he realized, was basically one of social control that he came to accept very early in his research that the people who were being labeled as mentally ill were not really ill. They had no real manifestations of illness. Um, and he began to look at what was being done to these people. He studied the history of the treatments uh, from, from uh, starting out with uh, the idea of, of the brains of these individuals or their chemicals in their body being somehow damaged and uh, electroconvulsive shock therapy and uh, psychosurgery, uh, you know, the, the uh, terrible thing of cutting off the forebrain of an individual. They would stick needles in the, up in the orb of the eye and sever the frontal lobes. Tremendous amount of death um, and mutilation that was created. Uh, the guy Ignaz Monaz, who, uh, the Portuguese psychiatrist who invented the operation, um, and some of the others who did this, thousands and thousands of people, uh, and, and in some of the reports, uh, it was listed as successful because the individual was now as docile as a house pet. Uh, really a horrendous uh, story. But he got involved 
in psychiatry's ad- adaptation, the, the ad- adapting to the notion of uh, eugenics. That is, that you can understand a person's personality and their history from their genes. It used to be their blood. In other words, blood was, was the issue. You know, you had black blood or white blood. Um, but with the advent of modern biology and an understanding uh, that uh, we inherit uh, pieces of our parents through uh, our genes, a whole area of eugenics was born. And eugenics was the idea that we can study human beings and human populations and prevent inferior beings from um, taking over the world. In other words, it would save lots of money. Um, And this uh, uh, was sponsored by many of the wealthy individuals, the Rockefellers, the Carnegie Mellons, some of the wealthier families who got their money by uh, being robber barons uh, and being incredibly hostile to the workers that uh, helped them make their fortunes. Nothing new there. Uh, uh, These individuals paid lots of money to the new scientists interested in genetic research to find out how uh, the genes operate to produce poor people. Now, uh, for many of us, poor poverty is not a genetic problem. It's a cultural and a social problem, but not for these wealthy individuals. And medicine got on board. And the idea of sterilizing people, the idea of preventing the poor from having children so that only the superior gened rich would have children and thereby lift the entire species, lift up the entire species, um, uh, was a very popular idea in the 1920s and 1930s. And this was the philosophy that literally was transposed whole to Hitler's Germany to uh, create the uh, basis, the biological basis of the superiority of the of the Uber race, the Ubermensch, the Overmensch, um, to justify the destruction of the Untermensch. Uh, don't feel bad; this has never gone away. So much of the uh, research now into genes, the Genome Project, is sponsored by the same people. They're still looking for those genes that make individuals inferior. And they haven't found any yet, but you hear constantly those who are diagnosed with serious mental illness, depression, schizophrenia especially, are individuals who have a genetic inheritance problem. And the best way to cure them is to, to prevent them from having children, either convince them or ultimately pass some kind of laws. Uh, one of the heroes of the women's movement is Margaret Sanger, who uh, used, uh, who, who uh, created and pushed the idea of birth control for women. Um, she didn't do this out of a desire to free women from their bodies uh, and give them choice. She did it because she believed that um, uh, the poor had to be controlled. The, the, the population of the poor had to be controlled. And so only the poor, she suggested, should use birth control. She didn't want the rich to use birth control. The rich should, um, should uh, be allowed to freely procreate and have as many babies as they possibly could because it was obvious 
from this story that, that, that they were, were, were holding on to and believing that the wealthy would have the children who would be superior because wealth made them superior. I'm sorry, their genes made them wealthy, and that's why they were superior. Not that they inherited their sums of money or stole their sums of money. Now, again, I'm not against people who make large sums of money, uh, but I don't think it's genetic. I think it's mostly cultural. It's mostly social. Uh, it's the kind of attitudes that people are raised with, how much fear they have of taking risk. Uh, and I think that fear, again, is one of the huge, huge sources of why people um, don't try to make large sums of money. They want to play it safe. They want to hold on to what they have and not invest. Again, on a personal note, uh, when I told my mother I was going to get a Ph.D., she was horrified. She said, but you could become a school teacher and you could have real security. Because for my mother, the fear of not having, the fear of poverty, the fear of being helpless was so great because of her childhood that the idea of risk was simply something that shouldn't take place. My own son went into business. He took every bit of his dollars when he left the job when he was in his 20s, and it created a business. And I was horrified, not horrified, but scared. I said, what will you do if you lose all your money? He said, I'll get a job and make more. His view of money was very different than mine, and mine very different than my mother. When I bought a house, my mother said, did you have to borrow to buy the house? I said, yeah, I have a mortgage. She, she couldn't imagine owing anybody money. The idea that that risk would be part of your life was simply something she couldn't tolerate. Yet, for the eugenicist, all of this would be uh, somehow um, an idea of, of inherited inferiority. I wonder what the eugenicist would say about the genes that my mother passed to me that I passed to my son, because my son, uh, thank heavens, does quite well economically. What I'm not going to talk about is the Holocaust itself, how the mass murders took place. Um, that's a story I don't have to tell. I think everybody should be familiar with it, uh, the way in which the bodies were disposed of uh, at Baba Yar, where I might have died had my parents not left Russia. An open pit was created. Mothers were made to hold their babies and the mothers were shot through the baby, through them, and all fell into a pit because they wanted to save bullets. Um, I don't have to talk about the crematoriums um, and the individuals who were made to pull the gold teeth, take the skin off the Jews, uh, which were made into slip covers and lampshades and car covers. Um, we don't have to talk about the hair that went into mattresses. Uh, we don't have to talk about any of that nightmare efficiency in which the killing of the disease uh, uh, known as the Jews or the Gypsies or any inferior untermenschen people, genetically inferior people, I don't have to deal with that. But I do want to talk about a little bit in the time remaining the meaning of the Holocaust. Uh, and here I rely on a wonderful essay by a uh, Harvard philosopher by the name of Robert Nozicki, who died, unfortunately, uh, some years ago. He was in his 60s and um, very thoughtful. And he has a, a little essay on the, on the Holocaust, and he says that if you look at what the Holocaust means, uh, we have to come to grips 
with who we are as a species. And I think that's absolutely true. Again, I don't think it's the Holocaust happened because of Germany, and I don't think it happened uh, because the, the Serbs were the Serbs, and I don't think that Pol Pot uh, committed the mass murder that he did in, in um, Asia on his own people. Uh, I don't think any of this happened for genetic reasons. The time was right. The culture was right. They were able to exploit fear. Um, but this goes on and on and on, and I believe can happen anywhere at any time, where people can be dehumanized, uh, made into a source of fear for other people, and then be convinced that the eradication of these people is a necessity uh, for them to be saved, for themselves to be saved. Uh, I think this is always going to be with us unless we accept that our species, as a species, is capable of dehumanizing individuals and groups of people to the point in which we can exterminate them or kill them uh, with not any more feeling than catching a fish and frying it for our supper. Um, I think that is absolutely so. And so uh, he argues, Nozicki, that we are no longer a special species, that if our species disappeared, it would be no great tragedy to the planet. Um, I've heard it argued that maybe it would be a benefit to the planet. Now, what Nozicki adds is that um, it was a tragedy for any individual to die, but not because the individual is a member of the human species. And I think that is something I take as a reality. I take that as part of my underpinning of my story. Um, I just lost my, oh, goodness. I don't know if I'm still on the air. Shit. Yes, I'm still on the air. Okay. Um, I take that as the underpinning. Uh, I love human beings. Um, I fight very hard all the time to see that people are seen as people. Um, my whole uh, movement out of the field of psychiatry uh, and clinical psychology is this constant defining of people of, as, as inferior and as not being allowed to have a voice. Um, and this, I think there's a constant mini-Holocaust going on against people. Uh, where drugs are being used and surgeries are used to stifle and control people who are different, uh, not so different than ourselves, but are defined as different and who frighten us and therefore uh, need to be uh, handled in this way. Second point he makes I thought was interesting uh, is that uh, Christian theology has to review its underlying assumptions. Uh, he argues that to, after the Holocaust, it's impossible to say that uh, Jesus redeemed our sins. That what we are and what we did in the Holocaust 2,000 years after Christ's birth simply negates the story of human redemption. That, in fact, we're probably not redeemable in that sense. Uh, from my point of view, from the story I tell, I think we constantly have to be on guard uh, about dehumanizing ourselves or others. And for those of you who have been following my show, you know that is a constant story. It's constantly, how do we create a humanization? How do we create a love between people, a respect? Um, 
uh, 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 that we, we create the social and psychological conditions where human dignity is upheld and never, ever ignored. So, um, I think that's enough for today. Uh, I have to have an early dinner. I'm going to a course that I take Monday evenings down at Florida or Atlantic University, and today I'm looking forward to a discussion of uh, uh, the election. And the fellow who teaches the course, very bright, good teacher, well-prepared, uh, was, did not want Obama to win. He tends to be a conservative. I want to hear what he has to say. And uh, watching his interview today, uh, last night, Obama's interview on 60 Minutes, uh, I cheered out loud when he said that uh, the terrible prison at Guantanamo Bay would be closed and no longer would torture be countenanced, uh, the kind of terrible dehumanizing torture that has gone on from those designated as our enemies. And I don't question for a second that some of those people are our deadly enemy. However, I don't think we can become them. And I think if we become our enemy, uh, then uh, we are simply looking in the mirror when we look at our enemy, and there will be no difference between us and them. And the conditions that then created the Holocaust are one step closer to happening. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, it has been my pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, and uh, take care of yourselves. I hope I'll be on next Monday. Um, I'm going up to New York to visit my children and my grandchildren. Hooray, hooray for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, so I don't know if I'll be too busy on Monday to do a show, but I will try. So take care and goodbye.